This week on the show, Carolyn Wilcox and I will be discussing post-apocalyptic television, including The Walking Dead, The 100, The Leftovers, and more. It's all coming up right after this. Sci-Fi. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury. Thank you for joining us. I've got a great show for you this week. Carolyn and I are continuing our discussion from last week about post-apocalyptic fiction and her new post-apocalyptic blog, as well as what we're watching and what we love about sci-fi on TV, especially, especially post-apocalyptic shit. A lot of exciting stuff is happening right now in the sci-fi world. I'm going to see Guardians of the Galaxy tonight. I'm running a little late to see that one, but uh, I, I can't wait to see it. I'll let you know what I think, of course. Uh, the new trailer for Star Trek Discovery came out. It's our first real look at the show. It, I think it looks awesome. There's a, a lot of controversy going on out there because the Klingons look totally different than they did in Next Generation, but that doesn't bother me that much because the Next Generation Klingons look different than the original series and the JJ-verse movie Klingons look different than they did in Deep Space Nine. I, it, they all look different all the time, so, you know. I'm willing to roll with that. I just can't wait to see the show. The uniforms look super cool. The bridge looks awesome. You got a, a female captain, and that's very exciting. And then, you know, a female main character that's not the captain that's also exciting. I'm I'm really pumped about it. I think it looks cool, and I can't wait to see it. Also, the trailer for Valerian, uh, the last trailer for Valerian came out before the movie's going to show up soon. I think in July. That movie looks awesome. Uh, I, I You know I don't usually go for movies that are entirely CG and this appears to be a hell of a lot of CG but it's so interesting looking and I feel like this is what CG is for is to paint an entire universe so I'm really excited to see that Luke Besson is directing that he directed The Fifth Element which is just such a great classic and I just can't wait to see his newest newest addition to the sci-fi universe a couple episodes ago, Sarah Lehman came on the show and talked about an event that she was helping to put on called Protect Our Tacos. It's a Planned Parenthood fundraiser. That happened last night, and it was amazing. Sarah and the rest of the team raised around $4,000 for Planned Parenthood. They served dinner to everyone. There was about 75 people there. I actually made a playlist of girl power music, and it was an awesome event. I'm so proud of Sarah and Rachel and uh, everyone else who put on the event. And I'm just, you know, she's my best friend. She's awesome. Got to give her a shout out for doing something cool. I have to correct myself from last episode. Uh, so last time I, I made quick mention of the fact that Torchwood was coming back for season five. So what I didn't realize at the time is that that's actually happening in audiobook form. So imagine my chagrin when I discovered that. I had actually read an article that said uh, Torchwood is coming back for season five. Russell T. Davies is going to be heading it. John Barrowman is coming back. I read this whole article. I actually went around for about five days last week believing that Torchwood was coming back to TV and was so excited. And I was very crestfallen to discover that's not the case. But still, the audio drama thing sounds very exciting. And Russell T. Davies and John Barrowman are coming back for it. So this is probably an example of me being bad at reading. If you've been listening to this show for a while, or if you listen to my other podcast, Sci-Fi on Trial, then you're definitely familiar with Johnny Unicorn. He's an amazing artist, fantastic musician, and he's becoming a very great podcaster on top of all of that. His new podcast, The Johnny Unicorn Show, is getting better all the time. And I am the guest in the newest episode, episode 18. 
It's the first time I've ever been on a podcast where I did not have editorial control. So that was kind of an interesting feeling for me. I could just show up and talk and then walk away. And, and my con- contribution to the episode was done. It just came out a couple days ago, and I really love the episode. I'm really excited to be a part of John's new show. So definitely go check that out, johnnyunicorn.com. Let's jump into our conversation with Carolyn. We're going to start out this week talking about The Walking Dead. There will be some light spoilers for The Walking Dead about stuff that happened in seasons uh, like five and or all the way through season six, I guess is what I'll say, because I've only seen the first episode of season seven and I didn't want her to spoil that for me. And I did not spoil anything about the first episode of season seven, besides to say that it was maybe not my favorite thing to have happen. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to talk about that. But first, I'm going to play some Walking Dead music. I love this music. I think this theme song is so cool. I pretty, I'm pretty sure this was composed by Bear McCreary, who wrote the music for Battlestar Galactica and for um, uh, Terminator. Terminator, what was that show called? Sarah Connor Chronicles. That was a great show. The theme music for that show was fantastic. Uh, just like this theme music right here. Here we go. like a huge or in the past have not been a huge fan of zombies like i don't think they make for that compelling of a monster uh-huh personally um and so i like never really watched walking dead until like a couple of friends of mine were like oh my god you have to watch the walking dead i'm like i hate zombies <laughs> and they were like okay but trust us this is actually just like a really good post-apocalyptic world that just happens to have zombies and I'm like yeah whatever yeah. whatever So long story short, of course, like, okay, fine, I'll watch it. And I got totally sucked in. Yeah. Um, But my point about this is uh, like they recently have started, uh, they've dubbed, they've been dubbing it into Spanish. Huh. Over, like, I think they only have like four or five seasons that are like dubbed into Spanish. So they're doing it close or or slowly and doling it out on, what is it? NBC Universo. (laughs) Yeah. and I'm I'm actually I'm Latina, and Where are you from? Uh, well I'm I'm from here, but yeah. my my mom is from Uruguay. Cool. And, I never knew uh, that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe I did. And I forgot. Maybe you did I and you forgot. Memory. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's new to me all the time. <laughs> Everything is new. Um, and I actually like I learned to speak Spanish because we lived in uh, Spain when I was like two and three, so I just sort of awesome. picked it up. Yeah. And uh, so it's like I have that fluency in my head. But it always takes like I have to like immerse myself in it for a little while to, you know, to kind of regain the fluency. It always comes back when I immerse myself. But, yeah. you know, it takes the the immersion. And it's it's been really cool. Like over the last maybe five or six years, I've done more. Uh, I've been hooked into more uh, Latino theater companies hmm. in town. So I've had the opportunity to do some theater in Spanish, which is really great. Yeah. But the great thing about like, uh, the walking dead having been dubbed in Spanish is that like, I've, I've been watching the dubbed version and normally I hate dubbed, Yeah. but because I've watched it like 
like a hawk watch the english version <laughs> yeah it's really great for me to now watch it dubbed in spanish because it helps me build vocabulary cool yeah what, Since, a, what a fun it, yeah thing i know to it's do. just kind of like nerdy but you know and, no, and I like I, I hate the voices like right. of the spanish dub but it's you know and then to see like wait that was not exactly what you said in english like i right. remember what you said in english and that is not a direct translation <laughs> totally are you caught up on The Walking Dead? I oh, yeah. I haven't watched the newest season. I watched the first episode, uh, and I, I was really struggling with season six. Yeah. And then the first episode of season seven just made me feel like I didn't need to see the show anymore. And, like, I'm one of those people that was part of that massive die-off of fans where people left wow. the show. And I, I do intend to watch the rest of it, but mm -hmm. I was like, it's, I, I'm probably just going to wait till it's on Netflix. I was going yeah. out of my way to see it live and yeah. then like well i don't really care i'm just gonna wait till it's on netflix and watch it then i would say like walking dead is one of those shows that i honestly i kind of think it's a better show binge watched than it is watching from week to week because it, it can be so dissatisfying in a particular episode it, it can be dissatisfying and also because like i appreciate what they're trying to do sometimes in building these right arcs. right but it takes but time. the arc can be a difficult thing when you're like, oh, my God, you know, here we are four episodes in. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck is happening with, you know, right. it's like we left, you know, poor Daryl has been kidnapped by Negan. And like, what the hell is happening with Daryl? Yeah. You know, or because like this season was very much uh, like they did that first episode. And then it was like, I think the next episode was. It might, I, I can't even remember at this point, but it was very much one-off episodes about characters in different yeah, situations. Totally. And, and that, so... That gets frustrating after a while. It, it's frustrating because, you know, and then we didn't really get a an episode back in Alexandria where we see, you know, most of the people back in Alexandria kind of reacting to... To what's happened. Like, oh my God, yeah. this is, we've just gotten home and this has happened. And, you know, so it took like three or four episodes before they even went back to Alexandria because yeah. I think the first week may have been like Maggie and Sasha in uh, at Hilltop. And then the yeah. second week was Daryl trying to survive in this with the saviors. And then they did like a Tara episode because, you know, and she was out in the shore and it had nothing to do with. Yeah anything that was happening and it was just like but what's happening you know we want to see what's happening with rick and michonne and totally all those people and so it took like a month before <laughs> you got back to seeing this and you know as somebody who like i i binge watched the first five seasons over two weekends me yeah and just like like i devoured it i was yeah. like in that world yeah and it was so fucking satisfying oh my god the yeah. first five seasons to me are just so satisfying uh yeah season six is where i started to feel like it was maybe spinning its wheels a little bit mm -hmm. where these characters who have been through so much and are getting so smart and so savvy to how of how to survive um start making huge mistakes and you can see it from like the beginning of the season rick is getting yeah. too cocky yes and rick <laughs> is like uh, losing his perception of like what he needs to do to you know to be smart about staying safe and then they take that job to go kill all of the um the saviors all the yes. saviors and i'm the whole i didn't really enjoy any of that because i knew that it was going to come back to bite them in the ass 
because it's it's too it was too obvious what was yeah. happening like that that was an arc that i just didn't care for because mm-hmm. it's just all of your favorite characters being stupid and setting themselves up to be like butchered by these people later yeah and i i just like i got nothing out of that story and then i didn't like where it went i didn't like the first episode of season seven because it was kind of like resetting all of that and like wiping it all away so that they could go back to a place even worse off than they were before and um i i didn't i stopped like what i liked about seasons one through five is that i felt like there was this progression of yeah these people becoming becoming the walking dead you know like there's that yeah. beautiful scene in the barn where yeah. rick says we are the walking dead and i'm yeah. like oh like i felt that in my bones and you that know? was like when he finally like i had been thinking it for a while when really yeah oh, i was so, i was shocked it. oh really it, i was like there it's kind of like I was thinking, like, why it's kind of debatable who's the Walking Dead here. Interesting. I was thinking, and and I think it was striking me through the second half of season four, where they were wow. all split up, and you know, it just like it looked bleak for everybody. Yeah. You know, and then there was oh god, there was that. I guess it was that episode before the barn where it's like they didn't have any water and they were just walking and yeah. walking and walking and. Like Tyrese had just died and Beth had just died. And it was just like, it was so bleak and it just didn't look like it was getting any better. And I think at this point we already knew that, uh, Eugene had lied. There was no government. In, oh my God. In DC. This, so it's so just like into this shit. I know. And then they were just walking and like, they just had like a tiny bit of water and yeah. you know, Daryl was beating himself up about Beth and, you know, stubbing out cigarettes on himself. And, yeah. You know, and, uh, they didn't have, they, they had to eat dogs on the road and right. it was just like horrible. And, uh, and then, so when, you know, I had been thinking that for a while, cause it was just like, how do you, you know, and just like the idea of, you know, we, we talk a lot in our society about post-traumatic stress, yeah but what do you do when you live in this place where like everybody's experiencing to one de- degree or another, cause you've already had this event right. that has leveled the world. Right. So that's already post-traumatic stress. And then it's just like. Piling on PTSD upon PTSD (laughs) and like how everybody deals with it. And then, you you know, you see Carol become super badass and then she starts to totally unravel. And, you know, we get Morgan also who's like, I'm only going to be peaceful and not kill anybody. All life is precious. And then, you know, um, I love I loved his. I, I love how he was woven into the whole story and like post credit yeah. scenes, he would show up and I loved that. God damn. That was good. So I, yeah, there was like a sense of direction leading mm. towards like death, you know? Yeah. And so this is actually an interesting <laughs> post-apocalyptic show because, um, oftentimes like what we were saying before, like how I felt my favorite post-apocalyptic stuff is the one mm. where it shows you like what can go wrong so that you try to like hold on to what's right in your present. This show is different. This is more like zombies aren't going to happen. This is more about like the perseverance of the human spirit where like, like what, what can you hold on to in the most dire situations that is, that's positive, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, the whole idea of like, like we, we protect each other. Like we are family is so powerful in that show. And you want to be a part of it. Like as a watcher, like you want to be a part of Rick's family, which is insane because like, why would anyone want to be a part of that world? I I felt that too. I'm like, man, I kind of want to be there too with, with these people and surviving with these people, which is insane. Uh, So, (laughs) so that's, that's to me, to me, that's the magic of the show is, is that feeling. And then when, 
when Rick started behaving like an asshole and like taking the, you know, taking everything for granted and uh, like he got comfortable in, in Alexandria. Yeah. Uh, all of that stuff like really kind of took away what I liked about the show. Yeah. And then it just leaves you in this like bleak, barren hellhole of a landscape. Well, I think like, and I did, I watched it all the way through because it's like, well, okay, either like you just wait and forget about what people say and binge watch it. I know. Which I think is, it's almost a better way to, like, I think the story is more enjoyable. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. But I think season seven is going to be a good one for binge watching. Because like cool. I said, you know, they kind of take a while setting this stuff up. Yeah. But if you're just watching it all in one day, it kind of feels like, okay, this yeah, makes sense. Totally. And then the second half of the season, like, you know, I'm sure you've probably heard and it's I not actually a he- know oh. nothing. So okay. don't tell me. Right, yeah. I've actually been trying really hard because it's, I stopped watching, but I do intend to watch it. So yeah, I'm trying really yeah, hard yeah. To, to avoid spoilers. It, let me just say it like it ends on, a glorious note. Okay, I'm sold. I'm going to watch it. So it's it's over, so it should be coming on Netflix soon, right? I think it usually it comes like a few weeks before the next season yeah, starts. Yeah, so probably yeah. in September. I think it usually cool. comes in I can in wait September. That long. I can't wait. Now now I'm excited. Do you watch Fear the Walking Dead? Yeah. How is that? Um it's it's different. Yeah. I think a lot of people have been dogging on Fear. I actually I don't know if I would go so far as to say I like fear better, but it's it definitely is different in tone because it happens on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. They're able to do some different things with it than, you know, I mean, just the culture, the, you know, L.A. sort of border culture is different than Georgia. Yeah. Um, The way people regard. I mean, if you watch, you know, you're watching regular Walking Dead. And as as bad as things have gotten, you know, between different groups of humanity on regular Walking Dead, like if you look at even, you know, where they were at the beginning of the show, where you have a bunch of people living in this quarry together and, you know, like Herschel took in all those people. Yeah. You know, he wasn't super great about it, but he did take them in. He was neighborly in L.A. That shit doesn't happen. Interesting. Because in L.A., people are already like, no, we don't, you know. Yeah. There are people that get taken in, but it's just like there's a lot more pushback. Like, yeah. people are a lot more hostile in the L.A. world to begin with. Yeah. And, oh, as somebody who does composing and does sound or is maybe interested in doing that kind of thing yeah. for movies, like, Fear the Walking Dead is great to watch on that level. Like oh, the really? The sound design. Cool. Oh, my God. I love that kind of shit. The sound and lighting on that show oh. just creates such a mood. Cool. Because a lot of it, you know, it, it starts from where, like, okay, we're just, like, in normal times and normal society. Like, it doesn't start into the apocalypse. It starts at the beginning. Cool. Um, that's, that's a nice change. I mean, I loved how Walking Dead started, but me too. like wanting to see more of that transition into that world is actually something that appealed to me about Fear the Walking Dead. Cause I, mm-hmm. I've heard that before, but I've never watched the show. And now that I know that Emma Caulfield is coming on the show, I kind of like oh, really I didn't know that. Now that's I want to get into it because yeah. I love her. I love her. She yeah. was, uh, Anya, Anya on Buffy. <laughs> She's fucking awesome. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's like, and, and I think. You know, a lot of people were complaining that oh, there's not enough zombies, you know, especially at first because yeah. they were 
ramping up, but I was trying to watch it as its own thing and not like, okay, this is supposed to be the walking dead. Yeah. Um, and I like, it's actually, it's, it starts out kind of creepier because you don't know what's going on. I mean, you as the viewer know what's going on, but you're watching these characters who don't. And I know there was a lot of criticism from the audience that like, these people are so stupid. I'm like, yeah, but they haven't been watching Walking Dead for five seasons, (laughs) you know, like they don't know that you're supposed to stab the zombie in the head. Right. They don't know this. There's, you know, they just see a person who looks sick. Yeah. So, and you know, of course they had a lot of fun with that on Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah. Um, and it's just like the, the way they set it up, it's just like, there's this creepy feeling that I really enjoy as, as somebody who likes the genre and who likes horror. Yeah. It's like, and I, I have to like special kudos for the sound and, and lighting design on that show. Cause it just like, it really helps with this eerie unsettled feel, you know, it's like, Oh, it's a beautiful day in LA, but something feels not quite right. Huh. Um, and then they go into Mexico, like they're on a boat for a while and then they go into Mexico and, you're dealing with some different thoughts about death. Oh, interesting. Um, cool. Some more folksy. Uh, Are there chupacabras? Mythological. No, no not so yeah. much chupacabra, but like the idea of death. Yeah. Is handled in a different way. That's so cool. I know, took a. Which I, is interesting. I minored in religious studies in college and I took a class oh, cool. on death, dying, and the afterlife. <laughs> about like I different like views on death from around the world. And yeah. it was really, really fascinating. You know, the ways that people. Uh, explain the inexplicable in mm-hmm. our world is something that really fascinates me. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting because there's this uh, this character in it who, like, he starts out as a heroin addict. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, a lot of people go, oh, well, he's the Daryl of the show because it's like you have that one character who, like, well, you know, I mean, the apocalypse isn't that much different from what my life was like before. <laughs> um, and so I guess... Nick is sort of that character, but he was a heroin addict. And he actually, you know, and of course he, out of necessity, kind of becomes clean right. as the world is falling apart. Because it's like, like well, Charlie where are you going to yeah, like, get heroin? Where are you going to find your next fix? So, uh, and he actually, like, he saw his girlfriend turn into a, a walker. Like, oh. he was sort of one of the first people to, like, see this happen. Like, they were, like, kind of squatting in this old church. and yeah. You know, and she wakes up and she, you know, she's like, or I think he, he wakes up and he goes downstairs and he finds her like feeding on somebody. And so oh, he wow. like hightails it out of there. Um, but it's interesting to kind of watch his character arc. Cool. You know, What's so his name? far, uh, the character's name is Nick. Nick. Cool. And it, it basically, it centers on this one family in particular mm-hmm. uh, that's sort of built up of two different you know, there's like, uh, what's her face? I forget the name of her. Madison. Madison. Maddie is the mom. The, the single mom of these two kids. Nick is, is her older son. And then his sister, Alicia. Alyssa or Alisa. Alicia. Something like that. <laughs> um, which is, I don't know if you watched the, hun- the 100 at all. I haven't seen that. <sighs> is that good? Oh, yeah. Is that the one that Jeffrey Combs is in? Who's Jeffrey? I don't know. He played uh, Brunt on DS9 and Shran on Enterprise. He was in Reanimator. Huh. I I don't know. He's in like one of these, like there's like the hundred and then there's the, 
like there's a couple shows that have really similar names, like the 4400. Maybe it's the 4400 that he's on. Well, the 4400 is kind of more alien uh-huh. related. I haven't seen any of it. So but, okay, no, about. the 100 is. Uh, I think I think we're in the third season, or maybe we're in the fourth season. We might be in the fourth season of the hundred now. Um, it's oh my god! It, it's kind of in certain respects, it's similar to Battlestar Galactica, the, huh. the reboot. Yeah. Um, it's I think it's even bleaker than Walking Dead. Whoa! I know. I don't know if I'm um, up for that. It's it's really good though. Like I'm. I'm I'm kind of uh, in awe of how like it it's it's really fearless about doing huh. certain things like more than, I mean a lot of shows it's become kind of a, a thing now to like kill off your your main characters your main characters yeah. but then a lot of them have like oh they came back to life or whatever right um, and like Rick and Daryl are immune from <laughs> death you know yeah 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 or Carl. <laughs> Carl, just because he's Rick's son. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that was another moment. In, I think that was season six where he gets shot in the head and survives mm-hmm. with very little damage yeah. besides losing an eye. I'm like, I don't know about this. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that came from the comics, but I don't know about it there either. You know, yeah, it just seems yeah. like a weird <laughs> thing to do. Um, But no, this one, the premise of this one, it's, it's sort of like Lord of the Flies meets Battlestar Galactica at first. Ooh. Because it's it's a CW show, so of course you know you have to have a bunch of teenagers, <laughs> a bunch of really hot people, a bunch of really hot teenagers. But the way it starts out is that um, the premise is that there has there had been a nuclear war on Earth like maybe a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. So this happens maybe a hundred and fifty years in our future. Cool. Um, and there like a bunch of people built a space arc and like they went up into space and so they've just been like orbiting the planet in space this one particular class of people and the premise is that this arc it's about a hundred years after they've gone up into space so this is a couple generations you know from the beginning and the arc is starting to fail oh so they have to go back to earth so they have to figure out like how to survive yeah and what they've been doing is like basically just about any crime that's committed, you get floated. <laughs> so like if you steal a loaf of bread, you get floated. That's unless just like out the airlock. Yeah, it's like bye. Yeah. And but unless you're a, if you're a kid, um, what do they? Do? I can't remember what they initially did to kids, but what they decide to do with this whole group of a hundred juvenile delinquents which is why it's called the hundred they were the original hundred they take this group of a hundred juvenile delinquents and they decide like okay we're gonna send you guys back down to earth as our scouts oh interesting yeah and so this, this is, sounds fascinating yeah well and which is why i say like lord of the flies meets wow <laughs> Battlestar galactica so those are all like the hot teens so you get yeah that that was the the initial premise you know yeah it's like oh the hot teens cool. are on, on the ground so I'm, like I'm really interested now. Oh, you sh- you should it's it's definitely worth watching. And so yeah. you get this whole first season that's just basically like the kids on the ground trying to figure out how to, you know, how to wow. survive on the ground and, and they realize what's left of humanity see, down there. Yes. Cool. Which Don't is tell super me interesting. <laughs> yes. And to see what humanity has evolved into on the planet. Interesting. Um and what a so, great premise. Oh, it's 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 really good. Like especially the first couple of seasons are 
like really wow. good and really scathing. Wow. And it's just like, it's just like, oh my God, humans don't ever fucking learn. Yeah. That's like the takeaway from this show. Yeah. Um, and it's like all the characters have these really amazing arcs. Um, and so basically like the first season, you just, you have the kids on the ground and then the people, the grownups, most of the grownups and the, the non-juvenile delinquents are still living up on, on the arc and trying to figure, you know, and I guess they, they lost communication with the ground. So they're trying to figure out how to communicate or if they even survived. And, uh-huh. um, and meanwhile, the arc is falling apart and they keep having to float more people because, <laughs> um, you know, so and then the people on the ground are dealing with uh, the grounders, which are the humans who have e- evolved, you know, still on Earth. Right. And then so that and then at, at the very end of the. The first season, like the arc crashes, like they, the, like everybody who's in the arc, like ends up on the, on the ground. Interesting. Um, and then, you know, you throughout, you, you keep meeting like different people who have survived in different ways. Cool. On, that sounds on the kind earth. of similar to Walking Dead, how like <laughs> you just like run into some random person who's living in their house by themselves. <laughs> it's like, how did you survive? Yeah. Well, yeah. It, you know, there's like this whole, group of people who had a bunker underground mm-hmm. you know and they are completely like not immune to radiation whereas like the space people like had a lot of radiation in space so they're like immune to whatever radiation is on the ground oh interesting and then the grounders obviously have adapted yeah you know um have you watched last man on earth <laughs> yes <laughs> uh i so the first two seasons of that i thought were actually like really brilliant post-apocalyptic sci-fi and it's mm-hmm. like a comedy but yeah. But also like really, really astute uh, science fiction that had great things to say about the nature of humanity and like the nature of joy and post and uh, post traumatic stress. Season three, I've been very unimpressed with so far. Yeah. Uh, I felt like it's taken this huge dive in in both like being interesting and being funny and mm-hmm. being like good sci fi. Yeah. Which has been really frustrating. But season two was like one of my favorite things I'd seen in a long time. Um, like there's this one sequence in particular where two characters get separated and one writes mm-hmm. a message on a train and sends the train down the tracks <laughs> because like <clears throat> like no one is alive no communication works right. like how do you right. find someone when you've lost them and i thought that was just such a clever sweet thing yeah uh, <clears throat> but they did an episode <clears throat> even though season three has been a little underwhelming they did an episode recently where Kristen wig was in this bunker and you like see her uh experiencing the death of humanity and like being stuck down there alone and that episode was brilliant and so good uh and that show is kind of like the walking dead without zombies like if if zombies weren't there a lot more funny things would happen and that would be the last man on earth Mm -hmm. uh so and there was this whole arc in season two with uh will forte is the main character and then i've seen i've seen it yeah not religiously yeah but i think we watched most of the first season and most of the second season. Cool. So. Yeah, season two was. Uh, what what's uh, Jason Sudeikis played Will Forte's brother, brother yeah. and he's like <laughs> in space, and yeah. he's been orbiting the Earth as a virus took out everyone, and then he's just alone up there. And his story was incredible. Yeah, like I, with I, the worm, with the worm. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, season two, Last Man. I can't say enough good shit about. But season three got weird, and then they introduced introduced this new character that I loved, and then they kind of killed him unceremoniously, and they tried to make it funny. Mm-hmm. And I hate that kind of shit. Like, uh, don't 
don't like kill people and then laugh at it when it's someone you like. Like that just right, really yeah. bothers me deep down. I don't know what it is. Like something about that just is so unsettling to me. Although the one thing that was kind of funny was that uh, the January Jones character got to kill the uh, John Hamm character, like right as he. Oh came my god! The beach. I never even that put that together. Awesome. <laughs> John Hamm being there was hilarious. Uh, I loved it, but you're right. I didn't put that together that she. Like she shot him, right? Yeah. So Betty essentially oh got killed. Because I haven't seen on. Mad Men. <laughs> oh, um, really? Oh my god. There's no aliens they, in it. They, they were they were husband and wife. Okay, gotcha. For a time. That's awesome. On Mad Men, and so it was just like, oh my god, Betty finally gets to kill Don. <laughs> yes. That's great. and it's you know that it was like that was the little you know Mad Men Easter egg for sure. You know, Absolutely, so, that's super cool. Which was fun. Well, we got super sidetracked. We were talking about your yes, blog. Yes, we did. Oh tell my me, god. My tell blog. me more. So you well, I mean, the hundred will probably you know. The Hundred and Walking Dead will definitely figure since those are like two of my favorite post-apocalyptic shows. So um, are you going to be writing about post-apocalyptic things or are you going to be writing fiction? Uh, like what's, what's the plan with the blog? The plan for now is I'm probably going to reflect a lot on different, you know, post-apocalyptic pop culture awesome. that exists out there that I devour. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking I might do, you know, there might be some like, ooh, what's the best survival gear for the zombie apocalypse, <laughs> you know, and doing things like that as I, you know, as, as I ramp up and right. as I am interested. Um, you know, I, I love even the idea of putting apocalypse post uh, apocalypse pop culture into categories, you know, because yeah. you have. Uh, you know, obviously you have like the zombie apocalypse genre, which is kind of its own thing. Um, but it's also very much, you know, particularly with The Walking Dead, you have like this really great post-apocalyptic world that has been built. And I do like I appreciate an actual post-apocalyptic society because sometimes I think people focus so much on you know the apocalypse and how to prevent it and then once they've either prevented it or not prevented it they don't necessarily go into that like what, what happens, happens after next. totally and i do appreciate walking dead for that because totally. it's like yeah. okay what does happen you yeah. know well here's an examination you know the yeah. hundred has done a really good job of that as well um you know i mean Battlestar galactica is very much a post-apocalyptic society yeah. if you think about it which is so funny because it's also like pre-society i know which end. i love I, yeah i did i thought that I was cool did i did i did like that a lot <clears throat> um and so it's like you've got that you've got your your nuclear apocalypse right uh you've got your plague apocalypse yeah You've got your alien invasion apocalypse. You've got your uh, cybernetic apocalypse. Cyber, like yeah, Terminator, Matrix, Terminator, yeah, yeah, all of that. Machines um, rise up and kill us all. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I guess I don't. Do you remember that show Revolution or Revolutions or whatever it was? I saw it on. I think it was on Netflix, but I haven't watched it. I okay, put it on my list yeah. just in case. It just like it was on NBC for. I want to say it was maybe only two seasons long yeah. before it got canceled. Yeah. But that I guess I would. I would classify that as a robotic one because it like mm -hmm. we ended up finding out like, oh, it's the nanobots. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that the interesting thing, like I, I'd be curious to see more apocalyptic shows that are specifically climate change. 
Oh yeah. Since that's what a great idea. Yeah. Since that's know, happening. That's kind of where we're headed. Yeah. Unfortunately. That's the other thing that really freaks me the fuck out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. And that's, that's why like, if the president can say it's not happening and then report it and then people say that it's true, I'm like, well, that's fucked up. That's yeah. scary. You know? Yeah. Ugh, well, and, and, and that's, you know, and then you have sort of this interesting, I don't know if you'd classify it as dual genre, but the the category that like I call dystopian, but a lot of dystopian stuff like the dystopia is sometimes as a result of some kind of apocalyptic event. Yeah. You what, what would you put in that category? Oh, like the Hunger Games okay. most certainly would go in that category. Uh, that made me think of Man in the High Castle, although I don't know if that would fit. But like there's this huge war and mm-hmm. then, you know, yeah. we lose. And then uh, like what is life after that? Right. Yeah. This, this society that's not yeah. quite right. I just started watching that. I've seen I have, like, I three or four episodes. Um, and Alexa Davalos is the lead and she played, uh, Kira in Chronicles of Riddick, which I just did a podcast oh, about recently. Okay. And she was also on Angel, but oh, I, wow. I had seen the first episode of that and didn't even recognize her because, um, <laughs> she's just not done up in like all this makeup and right. like a push up bra. Right. She like looks more like a normal <laughs> a woman human? and she's still like gorgeous in that show, but it looked like a different person. I didn't even recognize her, but she's great <laughs> in that show. She's such wow. a good actress. I really like her a lot. Um, I'm still not sure if I'm into the show or not, but I'm mm-hmm. probably going to watch some more. It's been, it's been yeah. interesting. Okay. I read the book years and years ago cause I love Philip K. Dick, but I barely remember what happens. Interesting. Um, no, what, what else would you put one. in that, in that category? Dystop- uh, probably the, what, what is it? The D- Divergent series. I haven't seen those either. Those are pretty, I don't, I don't know. They're sort of like, in a way, like kind of Hunger Games light, but I still, I enjoyed it. You know, I. Since they're doing more like, oh, it's like there's a woman at the, you know, who's the the main character in this. Like, that's always of interest to me. Yeah. I'm trying to think like of television shows that are kind of more, well, Handmaid's Tale Mm. also, like they they keep alluding to like something that happened. Yeah. Where, you know, like, see what happens, like if, if you are convicted of some kind of crime and, you know, what crime is in this society is, you know. Just like if you're a lesbian, that's you're you're a gender traitor. Whoa. Or or a, if you're a gay man, you're a gender traitor. Yeah, which is not um, far off. I mean, exact. Well, Pence, like, like look what's again, happening in, yeah. in Chechnya right now. It's like that is f- disgusting and like terrifying. Yeah. And I'm Jewish, so yeah, me too. I'm very I'm very uh, aware. I'm very upset yeah, by yeah. <laughs> by the words concentration camp. Yeah, when yeah, put me, together. me too. <laughs> but the idea of like putting people in a concentration <laughs> camp because they are gay. I mean, that's like a level of hatred and uh a level of like immorality that yeah i feel like we um that that it, it, it's just like sickening to me and i just wish i could do something like what can i do i don't know what i can yeah. do yeah i mean i voted for hillary <laughs> so that was i tried that it didn't work yeah that didn't work um yeah it's crazy it's we're living in interesting times that is for yeah. sure um yeah. So, so do you get, you were saying in the very beginning of this discussion mm-hmm. that you get, you normally get catharsis from post-apocalyptic stuff is, but maybe that's like shifting now that it's kind of becoming real. Tell, tell yeah. me a little bit more about that. Um, well, I, I will do so and say, you know, another, another, uh, 
subgenre of post-apocalyptic is the natural disaster. Right. You know, we had a lot of those in the 90s with like Armageddon. Day after tomorrow. Day after tomorrow. <laughs> and yeah. What was the other one? There was the one, there was the comet one and there was the... Uh, Deep Impact? Deep Impact. That's yeah. right. That that yeah. was that was the comet one. <laughs> and Armageddon was the asteroid one. Like the, yeah, <laughs> du- like dueling movies where one was scientifically I, yeah. accurate and the other one was Bruce Willis. Yeah. <laughs> I hate Armageddon. I did a podcast for my other show, Sci-Fi on Trial, about Armageddon. I hate that movie. I think that that's one of the worst movies that ever got popular. It's pretty, but as Bruce Willis, yeah. <laughs> and it did better than I think. Oh Deep yeah. Impact. It like blew it, it away. Yeah. yeah, totally. Um, so there's that one. There was one called the core. Mm. Um, I saw that with uh, Hillary Swank and, and Aaron Eckert. Aaron Eckert. I love Aaron Eckert. He's, I do too. He's great. Well, and that's again, it was sort of this raw, raw, you know, yeah. blockbuster movie, like with really good actors in it. So it, I, I kind it, of enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I, I kind of enjoyed it, but it was also one of those movies where like, we'd just like kill off everyone one by one. And yeah. that's something that I, I like occasionally, but very rarely. I mean, there are examples yeah. of that where I have enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Live was the perfect version <laughs> of that. I loved it. But uh, in the core, it felt, I don't know. Gratuitous. Gr- very. It was a very gratuitous movie in every way, including that. And I would. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever watch it again. But I did. I like sort of enjoyed it when I saw it. Well, see, and my thing is like I. This is part part of the catharsis for me. Yeah. In going to see movies like this, because like I like to watch the carnage. Like I like to huh. watch them rip apart New York City. You know, and because it's not happening. Yeah. Right. It's not like I'm not. And then 9-11 happened and I was like, oh, God, that's, you know, that's not as cathartic anymore, you know? Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's like I like to watch post-apocalyptic stuff because, you know, even as a kid, you know, I remember like like I posted in my first blog entry, you know, one of the first things I saw that addressed the issue was the day after which you know that was so the water cooler show we discussed it ad nauseum in school the next day and blah 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 like i would sit there like my friends and i would come up with like okay how could we survive this wow you know and so it felt like that's like walking dead now yeah yeah exactly it's like you're watching this thing and it's like okay something like this could happen but i feel like in watching this you know it's like you're taking back a little bit of control in thinking about like, well, what would I do in this scenario? Gotcha. You know, gotcha. Or, or thinking yeah. or imagining like, how I would totally I intelligently you. get through this? So right. even though like, you know, I may not do that at all if something like that happened, it just kind of helps me cope. Yeah. You know, a like, little bit. It helps to deal with the fear of the unknown to yeah. kind of go through options in your mind exactly like if i'm if i'm uh gonna do something that i'm scared of right i think about it a lot beforehand yeah like if i'm doing exactly. a performance or something <laughs> i like to like be like a play or whatever mm-hmm. you know um, i haven't done a play in a really long time but having had like ideas of what to do if someone else screwed up and i had mm-hmm. to like pick it up on stage yeah. you know I, I would think through things like that off stage mm-hmm. just in case right and it's kind of a similar idea it's like uh, like, what would I do if the world went to shit, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, having having a plan can kind of make it a little less frightening. Right. At least, you know, th- you know, probably, like, if it happened, like, I totally wouldn't even do any of that. Right. But just with not with it not happening so far, yeah. I feel like I have a bet 
I, I feel like I have a better handle on what I might do if that happened. Yeah. Even if it's a false sense of security, like it just helps me yeah. not stress out about it, I guess. Yeah. Finding any term. way to give yourself any sense of security, right. even if it is false, is valuable, especially when yeah. the world is kind of, you know, feels like it's teetering on the brink of something <coughs> scary and bad like this. Yeah. Uh, finding a way to not be filled with existential dread all throughout the day. Right. Can be well, really and just important. feeling, you know, you see these things happen. It's like you went out and you voted for Hillary and it didn't change. You know, it made like she didn't win. Right. Well, well, she won the popular vote. She did. She but, didn't win in the way that matters. Mm, right. Unfortunately. She, well, she's not the president. Right. And that, that was complete. Like I did everything that was under my control to do. Right. Right. And, I actually did a podcast about, um, Brexit, where I talked to my friend about, who's British, about what yeah. happened in the UK. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, I hope people will listen to this and say, oh, I should, like, not vote for Trump because, like, it's a similar situation. And then I felt like I was helping. Yeah. But, like, my audience is not large enough to make a difference, right, you know? Right, So, like, even if I can say something that goes out to a couple hundred people at a time, like, what is that on the the grand scale, you know? Yeah. It like, makes me just, feel better, but it uh, doesn't make a difference. I so really didn't I, like. I, I I did not think this was going to happen. I really didn't. I didn't think so either. I, the <laughs> the day that it happened, I felt like I was insane. Like I remember watching Trump get up to do his acceptance speech, and I started laughing because I felt like I had gone crazy. It just like like this thing mm. inside my brain. I was living in terror all day, yeah. and when I saw the results coming, I was like. This can't uh, be happening. Inconsolable. Yeah. I was just... Yeah. Is that a word? Inconsolable. Inconsolable. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> like, that's not a word. Uh, yeah, I was inconsolable all day long. I just like felt this dread and pain that it was happening. And then at the end of the day, like something just flipped in my head and it all became funny because it was like... <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, the next day I was inconsolable again, but, uh, but there was this minute where Trump was accepting and I'm like, this is insane. This like, is this is so crazy that it's actually a little bit funny to me that this could have happened. <sighs> Of course, I don't. I mean, I don't feel that way on a day to day basis because I'm just mostly upset and scared. Yeah, yeah. But um, but it's it's hard to like let that go enough to have a life. You know, like where's the line? Because like I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to uh, like go. I don't want to be one of those people and they live who you know sells out humanity just to make some money. I right. I, like not like I have any opportunities to make money, but um, you know, just like going along with your day-to-day -day life in a way feels like you're giving up. Yeah. But what else can you have to do your day-to-day -day life? So like, how can, how can you incorporate some sort of resistance into that? You know? Yeah. And I think that actually colony is a really good example of that, which yeah. is, which is cool. It's like cool to have examples. I know. And, I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. For me, like, like having good <laughs> conversations about it, uh, is a really good step. And like yeah. having a podcast where other people can hear those conversations is, is really nice yeah. also. Uh, so I feel like I'm doing like the smallest thing. Cause I've started talking about it a little bit more on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like maybe that can, if I can change like one person's mind about thinking that Trump is good, uh, maybe that's good, you know, yeah. maybe that's helping. So that helps me sleep at night, even if right. it's not helping. Right, right. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's kind of like I have, I have like a an apocalypse preparedness Pinterest board <laughs> that like I I put all you know, and the thing it's like, it's not like I ever go back and like study what's on my 
apocalypse preparedness Pinterest board. But it just it makes me happy that I have that. Yeah. Like if the apocalypse were to happen and the electricity were to go out, I couldn't go back to my apocalypse Pinterest board. Right. But if you looked at it enough, maybe you'll remember it. Maybe I will. Yeah. I should actually start looking at it more carefully. Yeah. Um, but it's just, yeah, our, our world has gotten kind of insane. Yeah. Like, I just, I can't, I don't know. Like, I just remember that the night before the election, a friend of mine and I got together for drinks and we're all just sort of like, it, it just seems all very innocent now, you know, like, oh, look at us in our naivete. But, you know, it's like, are you right. going to wear a pantsuit tomorrow? <laughs> you know, and then all day, election day, when there were, you know, people were like going to Susan B. Anthony's grave and taking their daughters after they voted and putting their little I voted stickers oh, on my God. Susan B. Anthony's grave. And yeah. like Ian and I ordered gnocchi from the gnocchi shop that is now defunct. Uh to like, like, oh, we're going to go home and watch the election results come in. And then it was just like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> it's very deflating. It was so deflate. Like, I just, I, I, st I still kind of can't believe it. Yeah. I feel like sexism, <clears throat> like, no pun intended, sexism, like, trumped reason in this election. Yeah. I think that if Hillary was a man, there would have been no question. And I think that. For someone like me and for someone like you who uh, doesn't see that distinction, like that, that is so shocking. Like, it's yeah. so shocking to me that someone would choose, would choose Trump over Hillary because he's a man and because she's a woman. Like, yeah. not based off their policies, but just based off of sexism. Sexism, yeah. And the, like the belief that a woman can't uh, be in charge, which is insane. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It, I... I there's a lot of little things that could have happened that would have changed the election. Like if Comey hadn't released those emails, I don't think we'd be in the state we are now. But I also, I've also felt for a long time that like sexism played a really, really huge oh, yeah. role in it. Um, and I feel like I grew up like believing that the sexes were equal because not just like my parents teaching me that, but because it's really beaten into your head in Star Trek. Like men and women are equal. Mm -hmm. Men and women are equal. They say it over and over in, in the next generation. So I just believe that, you know, it's like something that I've grown up believing because it's true. Right. <laughs> uh, and just to find out that like so many people out there don't believe it is really shocking or and upsetting. When you, when you speak to individual women and what their experiences have been with Absolutely. this or that. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, you know, because I don't know. And, and why I never like... I always found it really difficult to date men who were older than I was because like, no matter how great they were, there was always just like that little bit of sexism. Mm. And even with most men, my age, like I think my age, you start to get the men who were brought up by single mothers with more divorce. And so like, my age and you start getting younger and younger and this, you know, it's why I have tended to always date younger men. It's not cause like, Ooh, I'm a cougar and I'm you know, <laughs> seeking out the hot beefcake. Um, <laughs> I hate that fucking term too, fucking cougar <laughs> man. I hate that. Um, 
And because I've never been, I've never been like that. I've never been like, oh, I'm going after. Yeah. You're <laughs> just looking for someone to date who's not sexist. Yeah. And, and usually I tell, you know, it's honestly, it's usually the younger men who are like, hey, hello. And <laughs> I'm like, you're too young for me. Um, but by and large, it's that sensibility of, you know, I typically have dated younger men because they don't see me as like, oh, you're the little woman. Yeah. You know, they're just like, oh, you're, you're my equal or you're, you're right. a little older than I am, but you're my equal. Right. Um, which like anytime I've, I've dated like, you know, even just a couple years older than myself, there's always that little bit of like, you know, like, oh, you know, either patronizing or something. Yeah. Like um, men are just taught that from a young age that they're supposed to protect women. Yeah. And I feel like there's a there's an element of that that's sweet, you know? Yeah. But I think what it's doing is making men grow up thinking that, like, women are their responsibility. Right. When, in fact, everyone is their own responsibility. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think that that, like, that sort of thing that seems innocent is actually causing huge issues in our society. Yeah. Uh, and I wish that it would just be like people are taught to protect people they care about mm -hmm. of any, of any kind. Right. Right. Like not that like it's a man's responsibility to protect a woman because it just devalues the woman in that situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. There's just, I've been watching a lot of stuff recently, uh, in which there's this like roguish male character mm -hmm. who, uh, is like super smarmy, um, <laughs> like Matt LeBlanc in Lost in Space, and also right. uh, I just watched Ghost of Mars yesterday mm -hmm. to prepare for this John Carpenter podcast, and it's uh, <laughs> what's the guy's name from Crank? Jason Statham, okay, is in that, and he plays the exact same character where he's just like hitting on this woman who says no, and then he just keeps hitting on her all the whole movie until she finally says yes. Breaks down, yeah, yeah, and like that trope is so common. It's so common, and it's like. Teaching I mean, no wonder nerds, nerds think that, you know. Yeah, people think that they're supposed to treat women like <laughs> shit because it will break them down eventually and then they can get laid. Like, yeah. that's crazy, you know. I guess, like, the only one that, the only time that that's been done where I feel like it was done respectfully was Han Solo. And, like, yeah. even then it's kind of, like, on the line. But um, it happens in Empire. It doesn't mm -hmm. happen in A New Hope. And so those characters knew each other for a long time and developed a new right. dynamic between movies in which they were like, uh, like the sexual tension was kind of coming to the head of their relationship. So it felt really different because mm -hmm. like, well, they, even I think, you know, in, in it, there, it was a little bit in the new hope in a new, yeah, hope. that's true. just, I mean, just, just a tad. I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of more like, Oh, Luke has a yeah. crush on her or yeah. her, but there's either you know, I'm starting to like her or yes, I'm going to kill her. That, that one <laughs> yeah. line. It's yeah. like, yeah, you, there's, there's a little bit of it. And, and Luke's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but I feel like that's kind of the archetype of a lot of people copying that, but yeah. doing it wrong and making it like and really like sexist. Being, yeah. Really extreme about yeah. it. Yeah. Like Lost in Space in particular <laughs> was referencing Star Wars in so many ways. And I love that movie. I think mm -hmm. it's like great fun. But like that one part of it, I thought was just so problematic. I think they were also probably capitalizing a little bit too on, you know, the Joey persona. Totally. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of like sitcom guys that are like that. Cause I guess the idea is that if you get to know a guy, 
and see that he's vulnerable underneath all that, that makes for a compelling character. But uh, that's, I feel like we're moving away from that trope in general, which is really nice. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of my, someone I know on Facebook recently posted something that said like male sensitivity is so annoying. A female posted this and she got blasted. Like so hmm. many people saying like, like that's not the, that's not a good thing to say. You know, yeah. male sensitivity is awesome and should be everywhere. Like and just, it's actually a little bit sexist. To really, say, oh, to I say agree. That. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And I, I totally agree with that. And I was, I felt bad for her yeah. because she got bullied a little bit for saying that. But at, but the, at the same, same time, time, I kind like, of get what she, she's saying, she, I guess. I, I don't get what she's saying. What, what was like, she, I guess I'd be curious to see what the. Yeah, she only she posted that with no context. OK. And uh, got I, I did not go through the post because mm-hmm. it was like, you know, what what exactly did she say? Male sensitivity is oh, so oh, annoying okay. sometimes. Like, okay. that's all she said. Uh, and hmm. the idea that men can't be sensitive. um. I think it like puts men back in that position where they have to be the protector of right, women right, instead right. of like just being a partner or a, you know equals or, or somebody who needs to like lean on their partner occasionally. I mean, yeah. it's like it's reciprocal. Totally. I mean, and I think like this is starting to come out more, but I think we still have a long way to go in that like the idea of being emotional, like emotion is weak. Like this is very right. a very male thing or not even a male thing but a patriarchal thing that like oh showing in emotion right of any kind is weak totally whereas i tend to believe that like if you are being truthful about your emotions like whatever you're showing that's courage like i agree yeah you know, vulner totally. like showing your vulnerability there's nothing more courageous than that because like you are basically opening yourself up for for criticism, criticism, and people very personal. blasting you about being weak. Yeah, um, like people who really dive into their heart and open up their heart, like that is fucking courageous. Like yeah. I'm not there, certainly. You know, I would like to be, but like there are things that I'm still very like, like I, I don't even want to say I'm very male on certain things. Like I hmm. feel like a dude sometimes <laughs> with certain things. Uh, like I feel like I react like a dude. Which is probably not even fair to say, but in our patriarchal culture, yeah, um, you know, these things like they they trickle down into how we think about ourselves, yeah, and that's I think that's where a lot of the difficulty lies in overcoming it because uh, I have always been a little bit more of a sensitive guy than, than all my other male friends, and I tend to get along like when I was a kid, I had a much easier time getting along with women than men. Mm Uh, I was actually really intimidated by men and was not comfortable around, well, boys at that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, my mom was a Girl Scout troop leader and I um, went on a lot of the Girl Scout trips and I actually tried Boy Scouts and hated it because it was just all machismo and right. I felt like I didn't fit in and I felt really uncomfortable. Uh, like I, I feel very uncomfortable in any situation where macho stuff is happening, you know, because uh, I just don't relate to that and I don't yeah. fit into that. And then I get mocked for it right. a lot. Um <laughs> But it like, but because of that, it, um, I, I think like the sensitivity is something that's referred to a lot as someone's feminine side. 
Yeah. And even just that by itself is kind of sexist to yeah. say, you know, like yeah. the by being sensitive, you are feminine and it's used in a derogatory way. Using the word feminine in a derogatory way at all is a problem. But there's yeah. like billions of little things that are Or being everywhere. closed off is male. Right. Totally. Like I'm just saying right now. Exactly. Yeah. Know? And like that's a desirable way to be when it is in fact horrible yeah. and you're probably miserable if you're completely <laughs> exactly. emotionally closed off. So I don't know. But like, I'm just glad that I'm just glad that I live in a city where it's better than other places. And I'm also very glad that I have this outlet of this podcast because science fiction, I think of all genres is the one that kind of points towards the future of gender relations the best um, and yeah. shows you what it could be like if we were actually equal. And <laughs> even though Star Trek says men and women are equal all the time, it still doesn't show it perfectly because because it's still a product of this society. it's a product of a patriarchal <laughs> society totally so it's a huge step forward but there will still be like problems here and there and like for every problem there are like 10 things that they did right this is another thing that's really great about the 100 oh <laughs> like, cool is that it you know as as many issues as these people fucking have because there are a lot of issues and like humanity is like still fucked up but it's like they don't you know it's like everybody seems kind of like bisexual it's like and it's just like Fun. a non issue <laughs> like people will just like hook up with people and it's you know like the one of the main characters in the series like uh in season 1 and season 2 she's like with this she's hooked up with one of the this guy and then you know she goes on to hook up with a couple of women later on and it's just like it's a non-issue nice which is great race also nice is a non-issue i love that um and there are women who are in control as you know and this is across the board like it's almost more i don't i would almost say it's almost a little more feminine feminine led mm -hmm. in a way like particularly grounder culture cool but it's very warlike at the same time oh so. what a great juxtaposition yeah i really want to watch this show now yeah uh i i love what you just said about how it's just presented as a non-issue mm -hmm. i think that's actually the best way to represent these things is just show what it should be yes and don't talk and about not it comment exactly yeah, and that's exactly what they do here that, that's my that's something that i love and i think the expanse is doing that so mm -hmm. well with race where yeah uh because they've set yeah. up this like div division between the earthers martians and belters they don't comment on race at all, but no, it's more location specific. It, it's class, yeah, yeah class, totally. Yeah. But but race seems to be kind of uh, like just not addressed, and I love that. I think that uh, showing a sense of unity while mm -hmm. also showing a sense of divisiveness or divisiveness—I can't say big words today. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Uh, is is a really, I feel like, purposeful juxtaposition to show you, you know to teach you something about modern day society. So yeah. I love The Expanse. I'm, yeah. I I had a show scheduled about it, but well, I had to reschedule the recording, so I haven't done it yet, but it's gonna happen eventually. I'll do a show about The Expanse. It's gonna be great. I bet Ian would love to talk to you about that. Oh, really? His, his Yeah, he freaking loves The Expanse. I love that I think show. like I started watching it and then I got busy, so he started watching it on his own and yeah. I just kind of never I can't recommend it in, enough. But I've only seen the first season, but I watched it twice back to back because it was so good. Mm -hmm. And it was like good in a way that I did not expect after the first two episodes. Yeah. Uh, it's episode four where I was really sold. So yeah. if you're not into it by episode four, it's probably not for you. But I would okay. absolutely give the first four episodes a watch. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's this uh, 
commander of this Martian spaceship who's this uh, woman of Asian descent. And she's such a fucking badass. Yeah. And I've never seen that before. You know, I've never seen an Asian woman in charge. Yeah. Uh, and it was, I, I just, it just made me so happy because it was just presented. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, like you don't see like Asian male romantic leads, which is really upsetting. Yeah. But, and that's kind of like talked about how you don't see that, but it's not really talked about that you don't, like you'd never see like a captain of a starship who's also an yeah. Asian woman. Like yeah. that's so cool. Like, why aren't we doing more of that? I guess Discovery cast Michelle yeah. Yeoh as a as a yeah, captain. Yeah. But who knows if Discovery will ever come out at it's, this point. I, I find it interesting that they're moving in that direction on Walking Dead, too. Oh, are they? It Well, and, and it is interesting because they start from, you know, essentially us. This isn't a show that takes place in the future. Right. This, is, If anything, it's kind of a little bit in the past now. Yeah. Um, but... Where they kind of start out, you know, obviously they're in Georgia and you've got the character of Merle, who's obviously right. like a raging racist right. and homophobe and right. sexist and, and what have you. And as we get further along, it doesn't it like it matters less. Yeah, that's um, cool. Yeah, like the, the individual merit of the people is what counts. Yeah, which and, is and that's what it becomes because then yeah. it's, you know. And and granted, like, Daryl is a different character than Merle from the outset anyway. But he was much more like Merle in the beginning than yeah, he became. Yeah, he, he really was. Yeah. He really, like, opens up after Beth in particular. Yeah. Uh, and then his relationship with Carol is is really powerful. And uh, he's a very interesting character. He is interesting. And I, I feel like they've kind of... I don't know. He's, like, one of my favorite characters on that show. And, yeah. like... I don't know. Like I, I think they, they. It feels to me like they've kind of emoed him up a little bit, which is a little bit annoying. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I hope they get kind of back into the groove because it's like it'd be nice to see him. You know, I mean, he's always a badass, but it's like, yeah, I expect that. Yeah. You know, I expect Daryl to be a badass. Like, what's, what's another side? And, but I, I think it is super interesting that he does not. You know, I think by being with this group, like he eventually is just like whatever Merle said, like that was all bullshit. Like I yeah. take people at face value now. Yeah. You know, and sometimes we see that blowing up in his face, obviously. But yeah. uh, I yeah. don't know. Like I, I enjoy those kinds of things where it's just like we're just people here. Yeah. You know, and and it's such an interesting thing because it's been like a big topic in the Seattle theater scene. Is it because of... Uh, Over the last few years. Did you see... Um, I'm wearing the shirt. Here Lies Love. You're like, no, I haven't seen that. Uh, it was um, like a... I've heard much about it. I hear, I loved it. I hear I, it's insane. It like, was insane. But it was like the story of... Imelda Marcos. Of Imelda right? Marcos, yeah. yeah. So it was the story, like a Filipino story. Uh, like told by... Like from a, a Filipino perspective. Mm -hmm. And all of the actors... Um, I don't know if they were all of Filipino descent, but there was not a, like, there was no one white in the show. Mm -hmm. And that alone was like thrilling to me Yeah, <laughs> uh, to see like a crowd full of white people. Well, I mean, the crowd was like, you know, all sorts of people, yeah. not just yeah, white yeah, people, yeah, yeah. but yeah. like, I'd say a majority white when I looked around the room. Right. Well, who's going to be able to afford rep tickets? To, <laughs> right. You know? Totally. I can't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, someone bought my ticket for me. It was very exciting. But just seeing that crowd kind of grooving to the experience yeah. was really cool. And like, I felt like I learned a lot about the society of the Philippines 
through the story. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't presented like, oh, this is the greatest culture on earth. It was just presented like, this Here is what are. happened to these yeah, people, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it I really got a lot out of it and I very mm -hmm. highly recommend it. I, I was, I'm thinking about doing like a review of it for my other premium podcast. Oh, cool. Just to like get my thoughts down yeah, about yeah. it. Cause it was a really interesting experience to huh. see. Um, yeah. Interesting. Well, it's like, there's been, there's been a lot of talk in Seattle theater scene just over the last few years, just because I think there was a production of the Mikado that was done a couple years ago, which is a Gilbert and Sullivan show. Um, but it, I believe, I don't know the show super well, but I think it takes place in Japan. Mm -hmm. um, at any rate, there are a lot of Japanese characters in it. And traditionally, because it's a Gilbert and Sullivan show and they were writing in the 1800s, it's always been done, you know, performed by white people. Right. Um, cause that's how it was in 1800s Britain. <laughs> um, so there was a production where a few years ago at some musical theater company that, uh, they had a white cast and it just, you know, the shit went down on wow. like the Seattle theater artists, uh, Facebook page, like that shit went down. And the thing is, it's just like, it keeps happening. Of, you know, it's like we keep being like, okay, oh, this is cool, whatever. Like last year, I was in a production of Blood Wedding, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with the playwright Garcia Lorca. Mm -mm. Um, he's a fairly well-known, at least in theater circles, you know, well-known Spanish playwright. Uh, his works have been translated. He was he was living during the Franco era. era. I think he died in the... 20s or 30s he was actually like he's somewhere buried in some unmarked grave he was gay um and was executed taken in the night and executed by wow. the franco government and is somewhere in some unmarked grave somewhere crazy um i don't mean you know i might get a little bit emotional but like I have, I've always been exposed to his plays in English mm -hmm. and it's, I don't think I ever realized like how much you lose in a translation Yeah. until we did Blood Wedding last summer and we did a bilingual production. So we did it in both English and Spanish. Cool. And it was really the first production I really got to like speak a lot of Spanish in. Um, and. Wow, like Lorca in Spanish is a revelation. Wow. Like it's like listening to Shakespeare in English. Like it's like his level of facility hmm. with crafting the language, with crafting his language. It's just, you know, I mean, he was a master. Like wow. he's so good. And getting to say his words in his original Spanish was just such a pleasure. Yeah. And it was super interesting because then it was mostly, you know, it was mostly a Latino cast of, you know, varying Latino peoples, <laughs> you know, since we are, we are a varied bunch, you know, there were Mexican, you know, people of Mexican descent, Colombian, you know, Uruguay over here. Uh, you know, there were some white people that spoke Spanish really well, just for whatever reason. And we got, we got this really bizarre review <laughs> of one of our shows that was, you know, like 
I can't remember like what this woman was kind of like what she had up her craw about it. But one of our producers who is of Mexican descent, you know, put a put the the review on Seattle theater artists and said, like, I just get so tired of Latinos being treated as second class citizens. Like this review is like obvious like very blatantly a racist review and wow. Like everybody got into it and uh so like it was super weird being in a show that like was getting so much uh attention on Facebook anyway. <laughs> Um, you know, just with a bunch of white Seattle theater artists, like trying to throw down and show their support, which is, which is appreciate, you know, and, and I always feel funny cause it's like, you know, I look white, like I don't have problems getting roles because of the way I look yeah. at least, you know, it's like, I don't look Latina. Um, so people usually just assume things about me yeah you know which is fine and, so, and thus i have white privilege so you know good for me and, and i feel uh -huh. a little weird sometimes about auditioning for latino things and i often will only do it if there is spanish being spoken because mm. there, there are actually a lot of latinos who don't speak spanish yeah um so sometimes there is actually a need for latino actors who speak spanish because they want to do it in spanish but I, I always kind of have mixed feelings, you know, when somebody calls me to audition for a, a, a Latino play or something. It's like, yes, I am, but I also, you know, I can also be in Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah. You know, pe people would not have, you know, other than like, oh, you suck, so we don't want to cast you. But like, I don't have it because of my skin color. Yeah. Um. And even though I am truly and authentically Latina, yeah, I still feel that like, well, this this should not be, you know, like I probably wouldn't audition for the musical In the Heights unless they really wanted to do a bilingual version and they really needed more Spanish speakers hmm. because I would feel like I was taking something away from somebody else, right. you know? Interesting. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like you, you do have as much right to it as anyone else, but I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, like yeah. I, I feel funny about it, and I, I feel funny sometimes about saying like, yes, you know, like I'm a person of color because it's like, well, yeah, but I don't look it, so I'm not, you know, people don't discriminate against me in those ways, right? You know, yeah, and totally, you know, they discriminate against me in other ways, certainly, right. but. uh you know, like I've I've gotten my fair share of ageism and sexism, certainly, and you know, just being a nerd, you get persecuted, or like you did in the eighties, that's for sure. But yeah, you know, like I felt like blood wedding, I didn't feel too bad because it's like, well, he's you know, Lorca is a Spanish writer, he's not Latin American, so mm -hmm. it's like you know, well, that's people could be white in that show, yeah, you know, because Spaniards are white. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but if we're talking like a play written by a Mexican author, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would probably feel a little more trepidation. Yeah, that's so interesting. You know? There's so many like layers and 
levels of discrimination in our society and like being aware of it and being someone who wants to make a change as you are mm -hmm. puts you in a position where you have all these like decisions that I would never would have even thought of, you know, like where, yeah. like how you, how you represent yourself uh, is the only thing that you can control as far as trying to make a difference. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, ve you're very aware of that. And that's yeah. really interesting. I think that that's really uh, a good thing, you know? Like, I um, I also look white. Mm -hmm. uh, I am white. Yeah. But I'm Jewish. Yeah. Um, on both sides of, like, Russian Jews in my history, or my family history. So, and I, I was, uh, I grew up in a very conservative Christian place and grew up with a lot of anti-Semitism. Wow. So, I... Never had it that bad, you know, but I did experience enough of it to have empathy for people who are discriminated against because yeah. I have felt that. Uh, and then also, like, I've had a lot of medical issues and I've been discriminated yeah. against for that a lot. Like, I just told you when you got here yeah. today, like, uh, um, I just found out a couple of days ago that I'm like, was once again denied for, you know, cash assistance yeah. from like, I've been trying for several different places. I mean, my old insurance that I have now lost uh, because they don't accept Lyme disease as a diagnosis because it's like a sort of like, they call it an iffy diagnosis. I don't, I don't know. It's just not, um, it's not like a mainstream enough diagnosis for anyone to actually help. <laughs> so, wow. uh, but then they tell me that like, you're well, you should go back to work when I can't. Uh, yeah. and I, I consider that a form of discrimination, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah, life is bizarre. I mean, it's, we need to live, we need to adjust our society so that it's not in best it's not in the best interest of anyone to uh to keep other people down because right now we live in this sort of like it's like we live in this giant cesspool where everyone's trying to climb out to yeah. get up to this layer of society that's above us that we all perceive as being better somehow mm -hmm. so it's like every man for himself just trying to claw our way out into that uh, it's like the 3% yeah. on, on well, Netflix. Well, it's, yeah. you know, I mean, this new administration is totally is promoting, that. promoting that. And it's and disgusting. It's totally disgusting. Yeah. But <laughs> we need to, like, I don't know. I think it, social media, I think, is going to really hopefully help in the future of, like, showing the variety of individual experience in the world and yeah. that all of it is a valid viewpoint and that we need to be uh, open and appreciative and respectful of everyone yeah and get to know people based off of who they are and what they've experienced before casting judgment yeah i hope we're moving in that direction <sighs> well yeah with the new administration it seems like we've taken a giant step backwards yeah hopefully it's like hopefully it's the it's the storm before the calm you know <laughs> i'm hoping like well and that's like i always think about that you know in terms of like particularly with with racism and the Black Lives Matter movement that has been going on, you know, kind of more in a focused direction in the last couple of years. Right. And, you know, I hear people say, oh, my God, like tensions between races have gotten worse. Things have gotten worse. And I disagree. I, I don't disagree, think too. We're things, becoming more aware of it. We're becoming more. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's like we're peeling back another layer of the onion. And it's yeah. it's like when you have a fever and you're the hottest before you finally get well. Totally. Absolutely. It's like we're just dealing with this fever blister. Right. I think. And, and I think, oh, God, I think this administration, I hope we survive it because I think that's what 
that is. It's just I like agree. this last gasp of I the agree. old order. Yeah, you know, I, and it's but, strong. But surviving it is iffy. You know, <laughs> like I know. Well, that's if we what go I to mean. nuclear war yeah. with, with North We're Korea yeah. or with We're Russia, uh, like those are problems. Now is the time for good sci-fi. Like now is the time. Oh it's always the time for good we sci-fi. We are but so in a golden age of television right I now. I know we are. Like Man. I think a lot of the rebellion that's going to happen against the Trump administration is going to happen in popular media, and I think science fiction in particular is um, leading the charge. Yeah, totally. And I'm I'm very proud to be you know an old deep. school nerd of old. Yeah, I'm an old school nerd. <laughs> I'm also like very deep into the genre, yeah. and uh, I'm very deep into promoting it and like all of my art right now is science fiction based like i'm making mm-hmm. an album and a web series and uh music videos and all of it's science fiction based and to me it's almost like having a it's like like all of my art has a goal of helping humanity yeah which i feel like is also the goal in a lot of science fiction mm-hmm. you know like, let's take a look at humanity so we can try to go in a positive direction. It's, again, we're, you know, it, it's that that thing of like we're examining this to, you know, not only to, to feel like we have some control, but like, well, what's what's a different thing we could do? Yeah. Or what will happen if we keep going down this path? So let's try to not go down this path. I mean, right. that, like, I think that is, you know, I mean, Frankenstein was science fiction at one point. You know, right. the idea of going to the moon was science fiction at one point. Right. And little by little, these things have become fact. I mean, if you watch early Star Trek and you're seeing <laughs> the flip people. Phone. Yeah, exactly. Communicating on screens, you know, this big. Like, yeah. we're, like that's happening now. Like that yeah. science fiction, you know, from the 60s is now our rea- reality. And it, I think it became real because of Star Trek. I think that yeah. you show people what's it's, possible. Well, there's, yeah, there's like hoverboards. There are still people trying to solve the problem of how to make a hoverboard. You know, like because we all watched Back to the Future too, and it was so exciting right. that that people want it. So I think that if you show a positive future, a utopian future, I think that's exciting, and I think people will want it. Yeah. And then you will try to create it. Well, and, that's, and that's the thing. It's like science and science fiction are constantly doing this dance with one another. Oh, cool! Yeah. You know where it's like the the, the artists imagine this stuff. And then the scientists like bring it into fruition. So it's like this really great dance that happens, you know, for good and for bad. Cause it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of post-apocalyptic science fiction out there that, you know, I mean, it might become our reality. Yeah. Well, if, if it does, at least we'll have your blog to prepare us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is your favorite post-apocalyptic sci-fi? Oh my God! I have to name one. Uh, uh, I don't know that I could. I mean, I can only say for right now. Sure. Yeah. You know, like the hundred is really great. Um, there's oh my God, there's this really great show on HBO right now that it's like it's the most batshit and beautiful thing I've ever seen, and I classify it into the pre-post-apocalyptic genre uh-huh. loosely. It's it's created actually by one of the creators of Lost. Um, oh, uh, The Leftovers. Yes. Yeah, Carl, or Damon Lindelof's show. Oh, it's so good. Really? But it's, it's like, it's out there and it is batshit. Wow. But it's... I watched half of the first episode and mm-hmm. was just not interested. But, but I should go back. <sighs> 
Well, it's it's so yeah. I mean, it's not it's not a feel good show. Yeah. Except that sometimes it kind of is, and it's like it never try. It doesn't even bother to try to answer the question about the mystery. Yeah. It's just like that thing happened. That sort of soft rapture, I guess. Yeah, like a whole ton of people just um, disappeared. Yeah, it was basically. I think what they said is like it's two percent of the population. And it's in a so I consider that that sort of the apocalyptic event. So it's yeah. you know, a very soft apocalypse, obviously. For sure, yeah. Um, but yet you have all these people who are the leftovers, who are just basically like in this constant state of grief. Yeah. Because of this thing that happened, and it was you know, I guess in in the larger scope of things, it was mild. But some people are affected more. Like one of the main characters, like her entire family departed. Wow. And they call him the departed. Yeah. Her entire family, like her two kids and her husband, like she was, they were eating breakfast and she was at the sink and she turned around and they were gone. Wow. Yeah. And like, you don't learn that about her for a while. And then the minute they say that about her, it's just like everything kind of falls into oh, place. Oh, cool. I like that. You know? Um, and then, well, then you have Justin Thoreau. He's just dreamy, but... <laughs> Is that the main guy? Yeah. <laughs> he's also a really, he's also just really good. Hmm. And then they, like, in the second season, they go into this, like, wacky purgatory world for a couple of episodes that's Oh, shit. Just that sounds like, awesome. So is yeah. it dealing with, like, Christian stuff ish hmm. but not you know i mean well and you've got christopher eccleston is one of the main characters in really the show. yes he shows up and he's actually he is a man of god um he's got a really interesting character it's like all these characters are just so human and so fucking huh. broken cool like um, a dan Harmon show <laughs> <laughs> I, well i don't know what like community or rick and morty um, yeah, I haven't watched any of those, but yes, I think perhaps. you would. I think you would adore Rick and Morty. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you like cartoons or not, but it's some mm. of the best sci-fi being written today. It okay. is brilliant. It's like uh, it. It. It's kind of like what. I mean, it, it started as a ripoff of Back to the Future, like Doc and Marty, mm-hmm. except that like Rick is Marty's uh, or Morty's grandpa. Oh, okay. In the show. That's <laughs> the only real difference in their dynamic, but mm. their dynamic is very similar. So it's like a mad scientist uh, okay. who's like an alcoholic and a horrible person who's like so brilliant that it's really dangerous for the whole galaxy that he exists. Yeah. And his like dolt of a, of a, of a grandson, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, go, and he takes him along on, on adventures cause he needs help right. to do whatever he's doing. Right. But they get into like, weird sci-fi situations that are so creative and it's got a soul of darkness in the show um that i think is like really fascinating uh and then it like takes you into places that you would never think to go and gets Mm -hmm. really deep and really dark and really personal and real which is bizarre in a cartoon yeah yeah uh but that that show was like one of the most exciting things I'd seen in a long time when I, I just watched it last okay. year for the first time. I like binged the first two seasons and season three just came out. I, or it just started. I haven't mm-hmm. watched it yet. I guess on April fool's day, they put all of it online, all <laughs> oh, of season wow. three and fans have been like desperate for it because it's been, uh, longer than usual since oh, season wow. two, uh-huh. like they're on their own release schedule. Okay. Uh, but I very, very, very highly recommend Rick and okay. Morty. 
I think, well, it's interesting because the leftovers also, it's like, you don't always like the lead characters very much. Yeah. Like, they're not always likable. And you, you're not entirely sure, like, why they're doing what they're doing some of the time. Yeah. But, and and again, it's like, you're not really sure, like, what is going on in the world. Right. But there's, like, this crazy... But that rings true. <laughs> yeah, well, th- there's this crazy cult that dominates the first and second seasons called the Guilty Remnant. Yeah. And they just, they don't talk. They wear white and they smoke. I remember them from uh, the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. They're, and they're kind of maddening. Wow. But it just, like, it's sort of simultaneously, like, the bleakest and most hopeful show huh. on television. You give me a lot a of things to watch today. Yeah, sorry. The, the hundred. I'm very <laughs> the interested hundred, in the hundred. I think you would really like and the hundred. I think you've talked me into giving the leftovers another shot. The the leftovers is it's more slow burn. Yeah, I think. Well, now that I've gotten into knitting, I'm a little <laughs> a little go. more open to slow burn TV because <laughs> I just need like uh, like there's some shows that don't hold my attention if I'm mm-hmm. just watching them. Yeah. But if I have knitting in my hands and I'm watching TV, then it's okay. Yeah. Then I can watch like every episode of Frasier a thousand times. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Which I would no, would have done anyways, but. It's really good. Like it's very quality and it's like, it's starting to really pay off. Like yeah. now, it's it, the last season, isn't it's it? It's the last season. Yeah. I, um, I was so burned by lost that I had a hard time giving myself over to, to another show run by, by Damon Lindelof. And this is like, I think the difference between the leftovers and lost is that the leftovers, like I think lost kind of tried to answer the mystery Whereas the leftovers doesn't even bother, yeah, and it's also it's like a way tighter show, yeah, because there are you know, it it still has a fairly large ensemble cast, but it's not nearly the size of Lost. They've got a bit bigger budget, so they can do wackier things, yeah. Um, like for example, the first episode or the first season took place in this town. I guess it was in somewhere in the East Coast. I can't remember exactly where it was. Maybe Connecticut or uh-huh. Massachusetts. The second season, they completely moved to Texas, huh. to a town in Texas that like no departures happened. Oh, and so like Justin Thoreau like moved his entire family to this town, and it's like the town itself has kind of weird cult status, and people are trying to like move there, but you can only live there. You can only enter the town if you have you're a property owner, <laughs> um, and so they end up like paying a ridiculous amount of money for like this total like wreck of a house at the very beginning of the season um and then the third season like a lot of the characters are now in australia weird yeah and it kind of it weirdly ties back to the justin thoreau character's dad who like we discover in season one oh like he was mad and you see justin thoreau sort of slow slowly going mad um but then you kind of question, like, wait a second. Are they actually mad or do are they actually kind of really in the loop? Just nobody else is. And so that they play with that a little bit. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and they, they play with the idea that the Justin Thoreau character is actually like a shaman. Oh, like interesting. A very this reluctant This all sounds one. very similar to Jack from Lost. <laughs> yeah where he's got like weird stuff with his dad he's like maybe a prophet of some kind or yes yeah, yeah. maybe just like but a it's dude done way better cool. here and justin thoreau is i mean i loved matthew fox but justin thoreau is like 
leaps and bounds yeah a more quality actor he's just he's got chops man so you know what we need to do is i need to watch the leftovers and then we can sit down and dissect colony yes. and the leftovers yes. because we have the yes. two showrunners of lost and then like josh holloway on colony it's been fascinating for me to see colony and see like so much of what i loved about lost in mm -hmm. that show and i can say i think that's carlton cues and then like watching the leftovers which i haven't done like what you're describing sounds so similar to lost also but like the mm -hmm. damon lindelof side of it because i feel like the yes. two of them coming together is what made that show classic yeah. um but also like it just went so wrong at the end like where these two storytellers are so brilliant and so talented i mean carlton cues did briscoe county fucking junior and that show was awesome well and even lost like the yeah, first the season first, of oh, lost so was good. amazing yeah and i oh my god i remember like that first oh my god henry ian cusick remember yeah yeah yeah. that first boone. episode <laughs> no not boone he was uh i forget who he was he was in the penny and what's his face like the oh, loose odysseus story uh, yeah, yeah the yeah, one yeah, yeah. that like um desmond yes desmond yes, yeah he's actually in the hundred too oh is he okay yes. now i'm 100 percent sold i watched scandal because desmond was in it yes and i'm still hooked on it oh yeah that he's, shows amazing. he's like he's basically like he has a great arc cool. in this show. He starts I've been wondering what he was doing. Oh, yes. He's I been doing him. the hundred and he's great. I love I yeah. And his character is great and he has yeah. like an amazing arc. Yeah. And I won't say anymore, but Yeah. Uh, yes. Just thinking about Lost makes me so frustrated. I remember the first podcast we did together, like the podcast of the past, <laughs> we would just get like down the lost rabbit hole so yes. much. Um you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to dig up the episodes that weren't released and I'll put them out on my uh, premium podcast. Yes. And do. I'll send them to that you because be I haven't listened yeah. to them since we Aww, recorded them. Yeah. Because you and I did a couple, just the two of us. It's, I feel like uh, like the the producers of the web series were not like they asked me if I could do a podcast because uh -huh. I have recording equipment. Right. Right. But then I kind of just like did it, you know, because I, I fell in love with it immediately. Yeah, I was like, this is yeah. awesome. I want a podcast now. And like you and I would just have these long meandering conversations and it, but right. it wasn't what they wanted from the show. No. Well, because I so, think we used to, I, from what I recall, like we would like dig really deep into like the societies and, yeah. you know, and the mythology. And all that. Fuck yeah, we would. And it was awesome. <laughs> it was but, awesome. Uh, those conversations were so fun and actually a big part of why I started this podcast because I missed it so yeah, much. Yeah. And I feel like just sitting down with someone and with sci-fi on the table, whatever you talk about, is going to be fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Like we had no real plan today. And this no. was an awesome conversation. <laughs> That's like, we're up to two <laughs> and a half hours. Uh, but it was like so fun and like also very nostalgic. I, yeah. I'm going to ask you to come on the show like all the time now. I okay. hope, you're, hope you're up for that. <laughs> totally. Um, you'll be my, my post-apocalyptic uh, reporter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, although I, my friend Evan, who is a big supporter of the show is a huge post-apocalyptic aficionado. Um, well, maybe we should all three. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, he doesn't down. live in town, oh, but man. maybe we can get him on the phone one of these days. Yeah. And, and pick Skype his brain. him in. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that would be fun. Put, put the computer Skype onto the microphone. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, this has been fantastic. Where can we, where people need to go check out your blog. Where do they go? Because you put up the first post, like I the sort of like preview the first post. post. Yeah, I, I, I'd love any feedback on the first post. Still, like I, I had to like send. Could you please review this on yeah. my post? Because nobody ever goes to my dumb personal blog on my website. But my website is uh, just carolynwilcox.com. 
and you can find it under the it, it's just basically my uh multidisciplinary artist portfolio <laughs> um so it's it's under the writing tab of cool. that just carol c-a-r-o-l-y-n-n-e yes w-i-l-c-o-x dot com nice um, and i'll link to it in the show notes for this episode cool, also cool, cool. yeah and if you need a graphic designer you can also <laughs> find my work there <laughs> yeah are you on like or anything should we follow you on twitter uh, you can follow me on twitter i will be uh, or twitter i i'm not a very great twitter person mm -hmm. i keep attempting and i think this blog will help me so i'm i'm also caro wilcox cool yeah you know twitter is an awesome it's got an awesome sci-fi community and does it really okay I can tell evan is at the center of this like post-apocalyptic sci-fi oh thing that he does that's what, awesome what's what it calls uh, at from the wastes and he does from the waste oh that's yeah. a great name that's yeah. see i need help in coming up with like a really sexy name for yeah. this for my blog yeah he's got a great blog also from a, a post-apocalyptic blog it's oh great well yeah clearly you, you i two, need to hook up with this yeah you two need to be in touch some, yes well I'll, I'll i'll connect you guys on on twitter because he, he's like a uh he's he's all over twitter awesome okay yeah great um yeah uh Hopefully I will, I'll, I'll become more facile with, with the tweeting. Yeah. I keep trying, you know, it's it, like, to me, it, it seems super, uh, I guess, short attention span. So I, I like, I, I feel like I post something and then it just is out in the ether and nothing happens. I haven't, I haven't quite well how to use it yeah. in a way that's effective. So that, that is totally what happens. But then if you do it over and over and over and over, eventually it, some people happens. read it. Yeah. You know? okay. <laughs> like the, with the podcast, um, when I first started, there was like maybe 20 plays per episode. Mm -hmm. It was like nothing, you know, because who, who the fuck am I? Right. Right. Uh, and now episodes like get usually at least 100 plays and sometimes mm -hmm. as high as like 550, you know, wow. depending on the episode, right. which for a podcast audience is very small, but for me is incredible. Mm. I'm like, yeah. wow, wow, I built this, you know? Yeah. Like Sci-Fi on Trial averages around like 200 uh, plays per episode, but there's like an episode of that that has like, I think over 600. Wow. Uh, Cause yeah, I mean, it goes up and down a lot, but, but the general baseline like downloads per mm. episode uh, is is now usually in triple di wow. digits, which is really cool. Well, and and I do feel like I mean it's like post apocalyptic ephemera is yeah. very hot right now. I mean, yeah, it's like people are interested in it yeah. and want to talk about it. Totally. Um, like when I brought it up in my class, and you know my the, my little writing class was really people from all walks of you know. I mean, there were people like I want to write about birds, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to write a mommy blog. And when I read my, uh, my initial post to the class, everybody was like super interested and like, yeah. oh yeah, I'd read that blog. So I like the post a lot. I think that it, it really spoke to what we've been talking about, about how like yeah. the world seems like it's in a, going to a bad place. Maybe like, maybe let's ponder the bad places and, and yeah. cause maybe let's dive in maybe, maybe it will like change our minds yeah. about how we're going forward yeah uh, which i think yeah, is yeah. super cool but yeah i in my experience with the in the age of the internet like just releasing something and like i just i, I release a podcast i post it up once everywhere and then i move mm -hmm. on yeah uh and that's it you know that's all i've really done since i put the show out like evan has done a way better job of promoting my show than i have and i'm sure that wow. there's like uh, a handful of people that listen to this who only heard about it through Evan, which yeah. is great. Um, maybe even like a large handful. Uh, so 
I don't know, just like knowing knowing that one person who I just met on Twitter. Right. Uh, oh, so you just know him from Twitter. Yeah, we've never met oh, in real wow. life. But we oh, I mean, wow. we're like we're like he's like my pen pal kind Aww. of. <laughs> like we 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 uh write to each other all the time. It's yeah. it's really cool. It's like a yeah. that's the first uh like online friendship that I've mm-hmm. had as an adult. Yeah. If, that's the only one I've had as an adult actually where like uh You've never met in person, but yeah, totally. But, I, and, I have a friend like on through, Facebook like that. It's just through science yeah. fiction. It's because we both are like such big sci-fi nerds, and like finding someone else to nerd out about shit is really exciting. <laughs> it really is. Like yesterday, I was watching They Live, and I texted him like, "This movie's awesome." He's like, "I know, <laughs> yeah. it's great." <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm sure you, you would fit right in with that whole online community, and I'm sure that you'll be uh, very appreciated and yeah. passed around there. Yay, but well, like we'll just see. you know for me like just trying to get the show out as often as possible mm-hmm. um i think is for me has been the best way to grow an audience yeah uh and just just by continually creating content mm-hmm. and i i feel like uh when i think about the numbers i get depressed but when i think about the growth i get really excited yeah and when i think about the fact that like i'm doing it because i want to and because right. i love it that's that's like the I feel like that's but, the. But if you think about it, like okay, maybe five hundred people isn't that big a number mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, but those five hundred people, like how many people do those people have access to? You know, right, I mean, so totally. it is all it's exponential if you think yeah. about it in those terms. I feel like at some point I might like cross a line where it just explodes. Yeah. You know, um, and I might not. I might like trickle in people. For the rest of this podcast existence. Yeah, right. So like maybe by the end I have a couple thousand people. Um, but that's still very worthwhile to me mm-hmm. because um, because it's not about – it's not necessarily about other people consuming it even though that's like the best – that's definitely like part yeah, of the best part yeah, of it. Yeah. But for me it's like an exercise in creation that's been incredibly satisfying. And it's yeah. made me a better artist in every yeah, way yeah. by having to create something and put it out mm-hmm. constantly because like I can't quality check the way that I do with my music, um, and right. you can't really quality check a conversation that that much anyway. Because if you edit out too much, it becomes jarring to listen right. to. So uh, it's just an imperfect medium, and yeah. the just getting it out is the is the perfection of it. Like, yeah. can you yeah. get it out all the time? And I feel like with your blog, if you get that out once a week, like that would be so exciting. And, uh, I, and I, I'll read it, okay. and I'm Yay! sure my listeners will read it at least some of them. And I, I'm very excited about yeah, it. Yeah, well, I, I expect I'll probably have to, you know, pimp it a little bit more, especially at first. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's like, well, it's it's always fairly easy to get, you know, 10 of my friends to like, hey, would you, you know, if yeah. I give them a nudge, usually if I just post it on Facebook or something, they're like, oh, whatever. Yeah. But if I, you know, like with this one, I requested specifically to certain people, hey, would you read this and leave comments and yeah um you know and, and it was really it was encouraging like the things they said and i think i was kind of most uh encouraged actually again back uh by the responses of my classmates yeah just because you know i mean most of the people that i asked to read this i know already have a penchant towards being interested in that sort of thing yeah but my class was a total wild card and so the fact that a lot of them were you know expressed interest you know, that was very encouraging to me. Yeah. And it is super, you know, like you say, this is something that it's like you've just consumed all your life. Like you're passionate about it, but it's just 
you know, like, oh, I've been, you know, I've been watching science fiction and post-apocalyptic fiction and horror fiction since I was a kid and just like devouring it. Yeah. And I never thought, you know, I would do anything with it. Yeah. But, but you want to give back. You do. And then, you know, it's like I've found it like I have a, a post-apocalyptic play that a friend and I are writing. Ooh, cool. We've been developing it over the last couple of years. And it is it's very much a climate change based cool. apocalypse. And then, of course, the gods enter because Fuck yeah. know, that's I'm also a mythology nerd. So <laughs> that, did you see uh, Mr. Burns? No, I didn't. I heard about it, though. It sounded amazing. One of my friends was in it. He came on the podcast (laughs) and talked about it. But but it it was like sitting around a campfire after the end of the world talking about the Simpsons. And it was beautiful. Oh, God, that was just like when I heard about it, I was really sad that I had missed it because it sounded amazing. Yeah, it's right up your alley. I think. (laughs) But you know what's cool about Twitter is like if if you and I didn't know each other and you made this blog and you posted it and you posted like hashtag um, like post apocalyptic Mm -hmm. or something. Evan still would have found it, I'm sure, you know, cool. because uh, like that's the type of that's the pool of Twitter is that if someone like I found Evan because I looked for people who were hashtagging sci fi and okay. like I saw his page. I'm like, this is awesome. You look awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, and then he got like really into my podcast after I wrote to him, which was mm-hmm. really cool. So like the, it, Twitter is like a really cool way to reach people. It's yeah, maybe in terms of like specific nerdery yeah totally yeah for specific nerdery twitter has been wonderful (laughs) and also uh i had a lot of trouble with reddit when i first started using Mm -hmm. it but i've discovered that like the sci-fi community on reddit is pretty Mm -hmm. awesome Hmm. uh so now when i go on reddit i only go to to the sci-fi subreddit and i really like that spot uh like it's an it's a place where a lot of people are just talking about science fiction and it's really yeah. interesting. Uh, a lot of Reddit is very hateful. And if you don't post exactly how they want you to, they ban you. And, uh, and it, it's, it's hard to understand, yeah. but, um, but it's interesting that like different communities on Reddit have different flavors and different, um, like levels of, uh, what they allow or disallow. Wow. And the sci-fi one is particularly good, which I, which I like because I feel like liking science fiction makes you a reasonable person. You know, uh, <laughs> when you like look at all of the different ways that things could be and you kind of examine that and internalize it, I yeah. feel like it, it adds rationality to the way that you think about the world. And yeah. mostly because like the scientific method uh, in, in good science fiction is, is very present. Like yeah. watching, uh, I watched Starman last night and there's a scientist in it who figures out exactly what's happening mm-hmm. uh, based off of the evidence. And I thought that was so cool, you know, like showing that like the positivity of being a scientist and like thinking and and looking at evidence and yeah. uh, using rationality to figure out what's happening around you. I think that's really powerful. And like sci fi is where that happens. Yeah. It's good shit. It is good shit. Yeah. Well, this was an amazing conversation. <laughs> this was so fun. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are so welcome. It was a delight. Yeah. I'm like... I. Before we started recording, we we're talking about, like, why haven't we done this? You I know. know. I haven't seen you in years. I know. Which is crazy. I mean, we were doing this project together, and then, the like, the project kind of ended, and then we just didn't see each other. Mm-hmm. Life took us in different directions, but... Yeah. But now we're back we're talking back. about sci-fi. Yes. Like we're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> the gods have decreed it. Yes. Well, I'm going to watch some of what we talked about, and I'll have yes. it back. Awesome. awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. Yes. Since recording this podcast, Carolyn has officially moved her post-apocalyptic blog onto its own website. It's now called You, Me, and the Post-Apocalypse, a canticle for end times. 
You can find it at youmethepostapocalypse.wordpress.com. And if you want to follow Carolyn on Twitter, she's at Caro Wilcox, at C-A-R-O-W-I-L-C-O-X. I mentioned in this episode that I was thinking about recording a review of Here Lies Love for my premium podcast. That actually happened and came out before this episode came out, so that's available now. And I am going through the old recordings of Carolyn and I on podcasts of the past that were never released so that I can put those out on the premium podcast as well. I'm really loving doing the premium podcast. It's becoming its own thing. Uh, It started out as kind of just uh, stuff that was cut out from my main podcasts. And while that still happens, there's actually been quite a few episodes that were recorded just for that show. If you want to be a part of that, you can find it at patreon.com slash sci-fi project and sign up for our $2 a month subscription to the sci-fi project that gets you access to the premium podcast. Next week, we'll be talking about John Carpenter's sci-fi movies. I can't wait. Until then, as always, stay nerdy out there.